Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up, big vote happening right now in the Fargo City Commission tonight. We're going to talk more about that, how it ties into the FM diversion funding for all of us here in North Dakota. Also, the caravan invasion. Wait until you see what Mexicans along the Mexican southern border are now saying about these caravan invasions. And are people soon going to be calling Mexicans racist and xenophobes? I'll explain towards the end of the show. We start tonight, though, with a horrific terror attack that took place in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday. Well, people are out celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A radical Islamic terrorist plan took place where they were planting bombs and blowing up innocent Christians. For some context, if you will, I want to share this with you tonight. It was just one week ago today, just to remind you, that we lost the Notre Dame Cathedral, a Catholic really monument, if you will. Now look, I realize there's still an investigation going on. I'm not insinuating that that was done by radical Islamic terrorists. I just bring this up for some context because then on Wednesday of this week, I don't know if many of you saw this story, but there was a man accused of actually bringing gas cans into the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. There's been 13 unidentified arson um, arsons that have taken place in the state of Minnesota against churches as well. So that's some new news that a lot of people haven't been covering. Uh, and the unfortunate thing, obviously, yesterday is that we lost 290 people in these radical Islamic terrorist attacks. Four Americans, one of them, uh, very sad to say, was a fifth grade child that was living in Washington, D.C. I think one of the, the saddest things to take place or to see what took place here with this terror attack is the fact the United States and India and others had warned Sri Lanka authorities that, hey, something was coming, something was going to happen, and unfortunately they just didn't quite apparently make the right moves to stop it. So one of the big questions we want to look at tonight is, can you stop this? How do you stop a radical ideology and also how to make sure this doesn't you know happen here in the homeland in one of our churches so join us tonight a professor at ndsu who teaches a class on terrorism actually used to be part of the fbi counter terror group in minneapolis dr jeff bumgarner thank you so much for being here sure we appreciate it very very much so again many people are going to say hey, that's sri lanka it's thousand miles away i'm here in north Dakota, minnesota why should i care the most important thing people watching tonight should know about this terrorist attack is what well, uh, that, uh, that Christians were indiscriminately targeted in this attack um, and that there are still people out there uh, in the world, uh, uh, certainly abroad and, and in some cases even here in the United States, that would, that would target groups uh, because of their religious faith. One of the most stunning things to me, and because of your law enforcement background, I want to get your take on this, is the fact that we, the United States and India, and I'm sure others as well, alerted these authorities in Sri Lanka that, hey, look, something bad is happening. We obviously can't tell you exactly when, where, and how, but they gave them the alert, and still you see 290 people. I think there was 80 bombs that they found now along a bus line or whatnot. I mean, this was obviously a well-coordinated attack. Right. I know you don't know this, but in your opinion from your background, how, how, what, what happened? How did Sri Lanka miss all this that was going on? Yeah, from the latest news reports, it looks like the, that those intelligence reports were circulated to law enforcement and to military officials. Um, and you know what we don't know. I think they're still doing a, a you know an evaluation or an investigation of what happened. But uh, uh, you know, pre presumably, uh, law enforcement either didn't believe they had enough to act on, 
um, or maybe they were still in the process of uh, setting up surveillance. I understand that they had some names involved, and some of those people, in fact, turned out to be involved in these attacks. And so uh, perhaps they were preparing uh, to, you know, to, to investigate those individuals or to uh, set up some surveillance. We just don't know the timeline yet. But uh, in many cases, you hear rumblings or, or uh, other government agencies, other governments from other countries, like in this case, uh, sharing information, intelligence with uh, the Sri Lankans. Uh, you know, you get information that maybe isn't all that actionable. It's, it's, it's a good heads up. Maybe it's worth, you know, warning churches. Um, but uh, in, in many cases, there's just not a lot uh, to be done to actually thwart it. We don't know if, you know, the nature of the, uh, of the information quite yet. But uh, certainly if there were names provided, uh, that would have warranted following up. What kind of things are we doing, again, because your background in the United States, to thwart these kind of, because, you know, a lot of churches are, unfortunately, easy targets for something like this. Right, Tur uh, churches are, uh, um, synagogues are, and even, even mosques mm -hmm. uh, have been targeted. Um, and, and so these are easy targets. I think, uh, I think there's a growing awareness uh, in the United States about the vulnerabilities of, of some of these soft targets. And uh, there's, there's even consultants out there that look at how to harden these targets. Uh, some of the larger churches, uh, especially down south, you see armed security, off-duty police officers and others that, that actually uh, protect those facilities. But uh, the fact is, is the vast majority of our thousands and thousands of places of worship are, are unprotected. And, and if somebody wants to do harm, they're probably going to be able to do it. The thing, because you teach a terrorism class, right. I wanted to have you on the night, is to talk about this is an ideology. So it's not like, to me, it's not like Nazism where, okay, you destroy Hitler as the leader and, and that sort of just dissipates and goes away. When right. it's an ideology that's been around now for centuries, um, one, how do you thwart it? How do you change it? And I look at it from this standpoint, I said this earlier today on the radio, I believe the root produces fruit. And so I look at Christianity, Jesus Christ went out and preached peace and love and compassion. But then you look at Muhammad back in the you know 600 ADs, uh, when he moved from Mecca to Medina, he became a warmonger. I mean, that is how he took over and spread Islam. Is there a way to change the ideology? And if so, how? I, I think we've seen in, in a lot of the major religions around the world, certainly Christianity, and I'm a Christian and, and uh, you know, am, am grateful for not having experienced Christianity in the dark ages or some of those periods of time where things were, uh, were pretty violent. But I think we've seen religions uh, the major religions, uh, you know, moderate over time. They evolve over time. Their theologies, uh, uh, you know, get more sophisticated over time, more nuanced over time. And there are, there are certainly uh, uh, the vast majority of Muslims, I would say, around the world, and, and, and particularly in the United States, I think probably adhere to a more nuanced form of Islam that, uh, that doesn't, you know, treat jihad as an actual literal armed conflict, but more of a spiritual conflict. And, and I, I just think that that needs to... That, that evolution just needs to continue to happen. Uh, you know, there was a time where, again, Christianity or, or variants of it were, were very violent and, and uh, gratefully, uh, I, think, I think we've moved uh, toward a, a theology that God would be pleased with uh, as a Christian. Um, and, uh, and, and likewise, I think, I think Muslims are gonna have to move in that direction as well. I think they are, uh, but, uh, uh, but there's still a, you know, a sizable minority worldwide, not so much in the United States perhaps, but there's a sizable minority worldwide that maybe it adheres to a more uh, radical and even violent uh, form of Islam. And, and it's just gonna take, it's gonna take the faith leaders to, to rein that in. And when you've got a billion plus you know, Muslims, a very small percentage is still a pretty large number that can go out there and practice this kind of ideology. And that's, a, that's, exactly right. that's exactly right. I mean, we are talking about a small percentage of the 1.3 billion Muslims in the world. 
um, but 10% is 130 million people. Uh, so uh, that, and of course, not all that 10% uh, would necessarily engage in acts of uh, of terrorism or anything like that. But uh, uh, but in terms of either being sympathetic to those kinds of actions or or in some way, um, you know, applauding it. I mean, I. I think uh, you know. I think what we need to see again is, is are the faith leaders in Islam, and I think they are doing it, but they need to step up and yes. condemn this violence. Dr. Jeff Baumgartner teaches a class in terrorism at NDSU. Thank you for the insight. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You uh, also, we want to talk about this: the Water Project Bill has passed the legislature, but one of the big questions now: Will Governor Doug Burgum sign it, or will he veto it? Because there's not the full funding for the diversion in this bill. I want to bring this up tonight because uh, there's a conversation happening right now at the Fargo City Commission. Plus, we're talking about your money. Everybody here in North Dakota will help fund this FM diversion project. And so what happened initially is they said, hey, look, we want $300 million more million from the state of North Dakota to help fund this project. They ended up getting $120 million less than the $300 million they had requested. And so there's been kind of a... Uh, hiccup, if you will, to put it nicely. But last week, Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney put out an email to Representative Jim Schmidt, who does a lot of the water work within our state. And he says, you know what, Representative Schmidt, uh, thank you because we have, they did get some more money. We'll come and take another bite of the apple for this full $300 million, maybe the next session. Well, there were some people, including Governor Doug Burgum, that were not happy with Mayor Mahoney's um, art of the deal, lack of strategy, if you will, that took place. Because many people are saying, hey, we still had a chance to get the money this session, and then this email maybe have helped uh, not allow that to take place. One other important thing that we're going to get to in a moment here is the fact that also former Governor Ed Schaefer has now stepped into this conversation about the FM Diversion Project saying, hey, has this project now become almost cost prohibitive? Keep in mind, this project was initially about how do we give businesses and people certainty that we're not going to flood but now as it comes to the point where taxes are going to be so high, special assessments so high that maybe businesses won't come to this community because, again, it's simply cost prohibitive. Also, one important thing to note, because we don't have the full $300 million from the state legislature, uh, one of the things that's going to take place then at the Fargo City Commission meeting is Commissioner Grinberg is going to put up, a, I don't know, I think in the city you might call it a resolution or something to that effect. But many of us remember, remember that skewed, uh, vote that we took about the special assessment districts when it came to diversion funding. Um, well, now tonight what they're going to say is, hey, look, for this extra $120 million, we are not going to special assess. We are not going to go into that special assessment um, district, if you will, to follow up with or take care of this $120 million. Many people are saying that they thought this was going to get rid of the special assessment district in whole. It's not going to do that. It's only for this shortfall. So I do want to share with you a little bit about what uh, former Governor Ed Schaefer is now saying about this project. And to be clear, I spoke with uh, Ed earlier today, said, Chris, I'm still a proponent of a diversion. We still need a diversion. He's just concerned about the escalating costs that are taking place. So this is from the Wapton Daily News because Governor Schaefer sent out an email to some legislators. I've had some pretty choice words about the project, some of the leadership here in Fargo, but I'm going to share with you some excerpts from the email that he sent out that ended up in the Wapaton Daily News. If we can bring this first graphic up, here's what Ed had to say. He says, look, I've got these big concerns that the project is out of control and is getting unaffordable for the people of Fargo, Cass County, and surrounding areas and the people of North Dakota. That's why this is important to everybody in our state because everybody's going to help pay for some of this diversion project. I want to go on and share with you a little bit more about what Governor Schaefer had to say. He says, hey, the current effort is being steamrolled 
with no interest in the diversion authority to consider alternatives, develop cost reductions, or upstream communities' loss of productive land, tax bases, and even cemeteries. I continue to be very disappointed. These are big words coming from Governor Schaefer. Very disappointed in Fargo's leadership and their full steam ahead attitude. So take that for what it is. Um, want to share one more thing that Governor Schaefer said about the project. And this is the important piece to note here about where this thing potentially could be headed because of, I mean, keep in mind, this is right now a $2.75 billion project. So Governor Schaefer went on to say at some point in time, we cross over from trying to keep business investment in the region by protecting property and investments. And we arrive at a place that is unattractive because of the high taxes and infrastructure goes elsewhere. So just for clarity, tonight there's a big vote in the Fargo City Commission meeting. We'll have more on this probably for you tomorrow, but for the fact that, hey, they do want to say we are not going to use special assessments to make up that $120 million. So that's an important thing to know. Also, the session's not done. Governor Burgum still could possibly veto this water bill that passed the legislature because he's going to say, hey, look, guys, let's go back. Let's take another bite of the apple and get the full $870 million this session rather than waiting until next session to ensure that we've got the funding and the bonding that we need for this project. So a lot there. We want to make it as simple as possible and concise as possible. Obviously, we'll keep you abreast if there's more news on that. One of the things we love here at Point of View is when you, the viewer, call in and you go, hey, Chris, there's this story happening. We, we'd like you to look into it, get us some more information and see what's going on. Well, this happened recently. Anne from Perm called in. She said, hey, you got to cover this, Chris, because there's now stop line three. We've talked about line three a lot here on the show. Line three is that Enbridge pipeline that they want to basically renew, if you will, throughout greater Minnesota to carry oil so it's safer, it's going to be great for tax revenue, for um, property taxes, for jobs and whatnot. But of course, and these aren't my words, these are words you're going to hear from a moment from uh, one of the people in the package we're going to play for you, but he's referring to these stop line three protesters as eco-protesters, and so they're going out now, and they're protesting logging that's happening in the Fond du Lac area, and, and this person, Ann from Perm, like, Chris, these people don't understand they're not even in the right place. This has nothing to do with line three. And loggers have got a very short season, and they've already cost this company now $100,000. So please, just leave us alone and let us do our job. So I want to run through this with you real quickly. So if you know some of these people or if you can reach out to them and say, hey, look, if you're going to do this, at least be in the right place at the right time. But here's one of the uh, stop line three protesters on a Facebook video that was at a logging site in Fond du Lac. was clear enough there but you can hear there saying hey these people are now um, doing this stuff along the line three easements that they're not in the right place it's not really what was taking place so there was a report out of Duluth at KBJR they did a great job covering this story and watch this gentleman's hat first off love this guy's hat and then listen to what he has to say about these stop line three protesters this was the scene at a logging site in the Fond du Lac State Forest on Monday where protesters claim workers are trying to clear a path for the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline. 
They have absolutely nothing to do with the Enbridge pipeline out here. While the Enbridge easement is near the logging site, county officials we spoke with Wednesday say the logging company is simply doing a job for the county. Once the uh, timber is mature and ready for harvest, then they offer it for sale and a logging company buys it from the county, comes in and harvests the uh, timber that they've designated to be removed and they haul it to Sappy Mill down the road. But Chef Logging has been struggling with protesters since early February. Logging equipment had been uh, seriously vandalized with sand and water poured into the engine compartments, hydraulic hoses cut on it, wiring yanked out of the equipment. Leaving damages totaling more than $100,000 and more than a week of cleanup. But loggers say protesters didn't stop there. A couple days ago, uh, more of these eco-terrorists uh, showed up on the site with banners and walked onto the active logging site and confronted the equipment operators, had a bit of a verbal exchange with them. And yesterday... The crew got ready to leave. As you saw from the logging road you came in on, they had put up a makeshift roadblock uh, to prevent them from leaving. Officials with the company say if protests like this continue, it's only going to get worse. If something isn't done about this and they continue to placate these people, it's only going to embolden them to continue doing this kind of thing until it escalates, until somebody gets hurt or killed. First off, love his hat. Make logging great again. I mean, that was fantastic. But I think that last piece he talked about there, someone's either going to hurt or going to get killed. I wanted to play this for you tonight because we all know what happened, obviously, with the DAPL protests in North Dakota. With Line 3, you may see something similar, and they're already doing it now at some logging sites that have nothing to do with Line 3. They're interrupting these loggers' jobs, their businesses, and as I said earlier, it cost this company $100,000. So, Ann, thanks so much for the phone call. We appreciate it there. If you've got more stories out there that you want us to uncover, shed some light on, please let us know. Uh, Josh, just want to touch on this quickly, if you don't mind, sir. So quickly, because Josh, we've got to wrap it up here, but uh, Mexicans at the southern border of Mexico, along that northern triangle, Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, and uh, Honduras, are they now going to be considered racist xenophobes? And I bring this up because there's a great story in the New York Times about the southern border in Mexico where people are now saying, hey, wait a second, what in the world is going on here? You've got these southern caravans that are coming up. They're invading Mexico, and people are getting very, very concerned. Because of time, I'm going to play for you or show you just that last graphic, if we can, Christy, of what some people are now saying down along the southern border in Mexico. And I bring this up because I want you to listen from a context of, does this sound similar to what we've been told from President Trump now for what, maybe the last six, eight, nine months? This is at the southern border of Mexico. The resentment is heated enough that local officials, officials in Mexico in a nearby town of Juxtala tried to block about 2,000 migrants from entering the town in recent days, declaring an emergency and telling residents to close their shops and remain inside their homes. There's the word emergency that we've been hearing now for quite some time. But again, the mainstream media is be like, emergency? This isn't an emergency. Well, it's now happening down in Mexico as well.